He's tall, he's tan, he's dark and lovely. That boy from La Crescenta goes walking, and when he passes, each girl he passes goes, Oi! Uh. Oi! <laughs> Oi! The Splendid Bohemians are with you back again. I am Rich Buckland in Port St. Lucie, Florida, where the New York Mets come to visit, and they, they practice all the time, and Bill Mesnick and... California doing his uh, doing his thing as he's done ever since he's been a star. You know, he went out there, became a star, and now he sits around the house and uh, and uh, plays with all of his eight tracks. But it's a beautiful thing. That's what you do when you get older. You given you're given the privilege. And uh, Bill has been digging into some uh, interesting recordings, and we're going to do one of them today on this program. This is the one we call "Put on a Stack of 45s. Bill, why do we call it that? Let me answer the question for this you. Is the, this is the, uh, the, the, the program from which all the other programs flow. This is our central expression put on a stack of 45s. This is the station. In my opinion. This is the station. Um, this is the station break. This is, um, the, this, no, this so is the, the train. Do you leaves. want to tell the people who we're, we're – you've already given it away, but uh, – well, first, what me, is the cut? That we're, well, I just yeah. want to, as I as I need to do at the top of each episode, I, I like to impart the fact that the nature of the show is designed to take a 45 RPM of note and to place it in a perspective for those who recall it or those who may not recall it. And uh, it's a reminder, sometimes nostalgic, sometimes educational, and sometimes impassioned. And Oh, it's a bunch of stuff man because all those little 45 rpms they were uh, they were a life force and uh we study them and chronicle them we chronicle them and today mr mesnick mr mesnick has come up with a beauty a beauty and uh it's the girl from ipanema <laughs> Stan Getz and Astrid Gilberto on the Verve label made it to number five recorded in 1963 released in May of 64 written by Antonio Carlos Jobim with English lyrics by Norman Gimbel Norman Gimbel so Jobim Gimbel's calling Gimbel Dave of the great department store. And now I hear Kmart's going on. No more Kmart's. The world is changing too dramatically. The Portuguese lyrics. It was originally in Portuguese by Vincius de Marias. Well, of course, you can hear it and you can hear the different... uh, You can hear the song being imparted in every language possible because it speaks the language of, of wanting, of romance, of sensuality. It speaks the language of love and desire. It speaks the multitude of languages that every language should have a opening to impart because why are we alive? I agree. I agree with all of that. Thank you. It's really incredibly romantic and, and, you know, it it launched the bossa nova craze. 
I blame it on Bossa Nova. What do you What do you think about Bossa Nova? Do you Do you agree with Edie Gourmet that we should blame it on the Bossa Nova? Well, I've been blaming things on the Bossa Nova for a very long period of time. Uh, I don't blame things on Elvis Presley though, because his interpretation of uh, Bossa Nova Baby, which is of course the original, uh, is not the original, but he takes the he takes the prolific elements and he allows us to understand further the need. See, there was a need to dance at one time. That need has now surrendered to murder an astral world. Dancing was the, that's how you, that's, it was a social and a, from the peppermint lounge to the high school gyms, this was the Madison and the stroll and the hop and the twist and Yes, of course, these were social and then became international sensations. But now it has transformed into death at Astro World. Thank you very much, ladies mm. and gentlemen. I will allow Mr. That, that's, that's to continue. Heavy. But the samba <laughs> is, <laughs> the, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I find it interesting delving into sort of deconstructing Bossa Nova beat a little bit. Because it's a different beat that that uses syncopation and and then of course Joe Beam it was it, it created by the drummer Milton Banana 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 uh, and uh, who synthesized samba rhythm and then um, Joe Beam kind of distilled it through classical guitar that wonderful nylon string guitar and he's playing the syncopated and the different chords the unconventional chords and uh it's it's an intoxicating brew and um uh astrid gilberto she had never sung before no no. and this was her first uh, amazing kind of sort of uh, uh debut now we had said we had said earlier and you you thought that this may not be true i it's a wikipedia thing and that in itself makes it slightly suspect but it says it's the second most covered song after yesterday which is untrue um, profoundly untrue it's not just untrue but profoundly well, untrue it is yesterday second tied with amazing grace the number one song ah. recorded of all time is, as would be expected. Happy birthday. Summertime. 67,000 different recorded versions. Summertime by George Gershwin? Summertime by George Gershwin is the most recorded hmm. song in history. So how that became a... Uh, well, you, a have to, you have to go on Wikipedia and... Oh yeah, I'm not, I, I was and, after we had our conversation about the most recorded songs of all time. I did a deep dive. You go into different musical registries. You go into different publishing. You go into different places that have a. Uh, there's an incentive to state that their particular recording is the most recording or is the most recorded song. Um, there is a prestige there, of course. So you would expect certain organizations like ASCAP or BMI to promote certain recordings as having been the most recorded. You have the National uh, Library, which 
they enter recordings into the congressional record of recordings. And um, that's what I rely on. And so it's summertime. Yesterday, amazing grace. I think the mythology of Girl from Ipanema is due to the fact that there was a period of time where you could not walk into, in the 60s, an elevator without hearing a version of that song by either the Boston Pops or Montavani or Ferrante and Teicher or the variety of recordings that were played at that particular time. It was an elevator music standard. And so the... <laughs> the idea, which is not to disparage it. <laughs> which is not... Well, it depends upon, you know, if it, it depends upon how many episodes of... Man. Elevator music is a, a disparaging term. I don't know if it's, if it's a disparaging term because there was something comforting in retrospect of the knowledge that as you're traveling up and down in this mechanical uh, uh, pleasure machine to take you up and down to different floors of, 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 business, of, of businesses, they attempt to comfort you with song. Um, yeah, but it's almost a joke, this idea of like, you step into the oven, da 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 that's sure. <laughs> something out of a Wes Anderson film. But you'd also, <laughs> but you, but I can remember multiple times walking into elevators and hearing something, George Harrison, something, something. There was, yeah. an, there was another one over, over and over and over and over. Some were just prone to that background din, and this was such a catchy yet unintrusive recording. Uh, the record itself, I think, is profound. The song itself has all of those catches that make for the potential of cliché. What is not clichéd is the work of Stan Getz, who had an enormous success with this recording uh, after a very troubled but storied jazz career. And, um, yes, what a career. Joe Beam and Gilberto credit Getz as the third partner in the creation of Bossa Nova. And you can certainly agree with that. Um, in 1962, he first introduced Bossa Nova to us with Charlie Bird, the guitar, the jazz guitar player, oh, and yeah. jazz samba. Do you know what the flip side of Girl from Ipanema was? Oh, I didn't get that. What is it? Blowing in the Wind. No shit. No shit. Wow. Yeah. I got to go back and try to hear that. That's interesting. That is, that, that's an interesting uh, take of blowing in the wind. But so, that, that's the time. That's the, right smack dab in the time period. So did, did, you, did you look a little deeper, before we get into Stan Getz, did you look a little deeper into what became of Astrid Gilberto? Um, yes, a little bit. Um, she's still alive. Yes, she is. Um, and um, she was born in 1940, so she's 81 years old now. And during that time, she and Getz, she had been married several times, but she had a relationship with Getz um, around that time that they were making that record. Um, she later appeared in a film, Get Yourself a College Girl. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a beaut. 
and <laughs> which I've never seen. But uh, there was a you know there was a blip of of interest, uh, and then she sort of she she sort of uh, faded. But um, she I guess she keeps reappearing. You have some information. Well, yeah. she claims that as a result of having uh, that, that she has the trademark rights to this because she was known as the girl from Ipanema. Right, um, right. And she, she opened a uh, boutique, right? Yes. Or and she sued somebody well, who she can, opened a boutique. She, right, somebody who opened a boutique. And she contends the public, yes. the public sees her as that trademark which designates her as a vocalist. And she contends... When Frito-Lay used it in a commercial, they could not lawfully use it in an advertisement without her permission, and the judge said, you're, you're pretty wacky, and that got thrown out. Okay, uh, so she was not successful in that No, lawsuit. she was not successful. But I, what I find interesting is the versions of the boy from Ipanema. We, we know the girl from Ipanema, but female artists also sang the song. Peggy Lee did it in 64. Fitzgerald and the Supremes in 65, Shirley Bassey in 66, Eartha Kitt in 74, and Petula Clark sang it in 77 on The Muppet Show. Nice. Right? And the boy from Ipanema uh, has an awkward translation. It's the same song, it just changed the the pronoun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I... it's it's kind of like the answer songs of the fifties, you know. It's kind of interesting. You you would have to have someone say, "Hey, yeah, there's a girl from Ipanema, but how about the guys? You know, what are we going to do with the guys?" So uh, it's uh, oh, and do you, do you know where Ipanema is, by the way? It must be in uh, Rio, right? The, a fashionable neighborhood located in the southern region of the city of Bingo Bill, you in jeopardy, Rio ding, 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 de ding, 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 Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro, yes, 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 yes. So Stan Getz, Stan Getz is one of these uh, influences. Um, my father collected jazz records and it's how I was introduced to Ben Webster and Charlie Parker and uh, Coleman Hawkins and a variety of other, uh, Coltrane, and a variety of other great, great sax men. Stan Getz was one of these way before uh, Girl From Ipanema came out. I was well aware of his his, um, timber, which uh, was kind of a reflection of the work of the great Lester Young. Yeah, I love I love the sound that he gets. It's a, uh, he was known as the sound, right? And he has that kind of wispy, mellow timbre, right? And, uh, it's it's I, I I have to say he's got to be one of my all time favorite musicians. 
Well, he was capable of rendering the best of bebop and cool jazz during that period when uh, it was up and coming and is considered certainly one of the great all-time tenor saxophonists. He's up there, certainly in the top uh, five in my estimation, and I'm not even going to go into juggling them around. And it's even unfair to put numbers to them when you've got guys like Jerry Mulligan and uh, so many others. But if you, take the, if you take the blueprint that Lester Young created uh, and then pass it on to Stan Getz and then... Uh, breed it with a contemporary with, with the contemporary nuances that were uh, up and coming. Yeah, it's almost conversational. Uh, so you've got Dave Brubeck and you've got Jerry Mulligan and you've got a variety of other artists. And uh, oh, of course, yeah. Um, you got Jack Teagarden because in 1943, at the age of 16, and you have really you you know something about Jack Teagarden. Uh, mm-hmm. He joined T. Garden's band. Uh, yeah, he became his ward. He became his ward, yep, because of his age. And he played with Nat King Cole and Lionel Hampton and uh, Stan Kenton. He had a brief stint with, with Stan Kenton, Woody Herman. I mean, if you go down the list of everyone that he worked with, Duke Jordan, Roy Haynes, Max Roach, Tommy Potter, Charlie Parker, Jimmy Rainey, Johnny Smith, um, and then he gets he record he's 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 all over the place as far as recordings are concerned, and there's a fifty three lineup of the Dizzy Gillespie Stan Getz Sextet featuring get this Dizzy Gillespie Stan Getz Oscar Peterson Herb Ellis Ray Brown and Max Roach. At what that, a band! And at that point, he knows it's time where. You know where it's time to go. It's where everyone has to go when America is saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying a ticket. So we moved to Copenhagen, Denmark in 58. And oh, wait a second. So you say 53, he, he recorded with Dizzy. Um, in 54, he was uh, busted for an attempted robbery of a pharmacy trying to get morphine, and he went to L.A. County. Yeah, I jumped the. Uh, I'm, 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 I was saving the history of that. We'll story, get. But we'll get back you, to that. Yeah, you went right to the, the unfortunate, um, uh, addiction history that he had. He had. He he was addicted to women and to drugs and uh, to music, and if there was ever a jazz man who could say that he would have possibly invented the term sex, drugs, and uh, jazz, it would be Stan Getz. Um, I've had I had interactions with with Stan Getz due to my own struggles with alcoholism, and um, I know how difficult uh, it was for him uh, within his marriages and within his uh, uh, desire to continue his career. Uh, yeah, I don't think he ever successfully kicked it. Right. Well, I don't. You know he. He was never given the opportunity because he died in uh, 1991 in Malibu at the age of 64, which is pretty young when you consider... Liver uh, cancer. And he dies of liver cancer. He doesn't die of cirrhosis. He doesn't die of an overdose. Uh, he dies of, uh, of, of, of liver cancer. 
Yes, he robbed a pharmacy and he had uh, arrests for he had weapons possession arrests. So he did pack heat, as uh, all the great jazz men packed heat, by the way. It's, it's not a secret. Hmm. In the early 80s, Getz again relapsed into his addictions and he was working, he was working a great deal during this period of time. And that led to another arrest for illegal gun possession at his home in Santa Monica. And uh, there was an order of protection placed um, from his family because uh, his wife, Monica, said uh, this guy can't be around the home. So that is how ugly it got uh, domestically as it gets for many addicts who, uh, who hit that rock bottom. What year did you uh, encounter Mr. Getz? I encountered Mr. Getz in the 70s, so that would be around 74, 73, 74. Actually, 76, because now I'm thinking of the new play. 76, the bicentennial year. Now I'm thinking of, now I'm thinking, because I'm going back into the but you and I were living together. I'm establishing a timeline because I'm in the process of something I'm going to be surprising you with, which is my first play, which is called King, oh. Kingsbridge. I needn't, uh -oh. I needn't say more. <laughs> but Bill and I were roommates in 1975-76 in an apartment in the Bronx, which was located on an avenue called Kingsbridge Avenue. And uh, I am writing a little piece a two man somewhat more, and I got more inspired when you were telling me about your one man show coming up about Philip Larkin okay. I said to myself, so you're venturing into the uh, to the the drama this is kind of a beatnik comment it's kind of like uncle floyd meets uh jack kerouac okay okay uh, i i look forward to reading it yeah i can't do what you do i can't take that full dive into uh, into complete and utter despair and tragedy. I have to keep part of it Jerry Lewis and a Shecky Green, and i got to keep the other part of it as much Eugene O'Neill as possible. That's a Yeah, I think, difficult... I, I think that's probably because I... I'm sorry. No. I, I think that's probably because I... Uh, yeah, I've been cast as a comedian so often that uh, I'm like... Jerry Lewis uh, and or uh, uh, Jackie Gleason wanting to uh, show the clown crying. Gijo. Gijo. Ooh, that was a rough one. Gijo. That was Jackie's <laughs> attempt at. Uh, I remember it. The the film that we never saw. Jerry Lewis's "The Day the Clown Cried." I think there's a handful of people, yes. including Harry Shearer and Richard Lewis, who have seen the entire thing and they it's promised never us, been shown no they promised us that after jerry's death it will in some form be released along with his last film max rose where he plays a jazz pianist in having marital problems i'm sorry i just huh. every time i think of jerry lately i think of the fact that he disowned all his kids and it makes that telethon a little less important than it was every Jerry's day kids. to me Th those were see those were really Jerry's kids. So getting back yeah. to our friend Stan Getz, um, yes, I can I, I can state with uh, authority 
the difficulties that you know, that he encountered. And um, as I say, when you lose your kids and uh, you keep on relapsing, and then he had a you know he you lose your children, and then he has another cocaine incident, another illegal gun rap, and uh, the, she, his wife had no choice but to petition the Supreme Court. Um, it's it, it's a crazy story, but his terminal cancer was diagnosed in 87 and he died in 91. But um, the work that he left behind is a insurmountable uh, amount it's of a beautiful, greatness. beautiful body of work. Yeah, and I think that anyone who has a, a subscription, any, any music sub- subscription, just just go to Stan Getz and just just choose anything, and you'll get oh. the uh, you'll get the picture. But we're let's focused. allow Mr. Getz to uh, take us down to uh, yeah. This is the mellow. The beach. This is the mellow Mr. Getz, the mellow Stan Getz. He not this is I'm sure in his head the guy. I'm sure, he wishes he could be all the time. I wish he was all the time. So let me dust this off here. Okay, there's a little dust on this. I haven't played it in like about three or four days. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the girl from Ipanema, Stan Getz, Astrid Gilberto on the Verve label. Olha que coisa mais linda, mais cheia de graça. Ela, menina que vem que passa. Num doce balanço, caminho do mar Moça do corpo dourado, do sol de Ipanema O seu balançado é mais que um poema É a coisa mais linda que eu já vi passar Ah, por que estou tão sozinho? É tão triste A beleza que existe A beleza que não é só minha Que também passa sozinha Ah, se ela soubesse que quando ela passa O mundo sorrindo se enche de graça E fica mais lindo por causa do amor
happens, I love to say, Bill, we shall Beautiful. not see those. Beautiful. We shall not see those days again. Because nobody does the bossa nova anymore. They're too busy. They're too busy. They're too busy. But if you get the if you get the uh, desire, you can always pop pop those on the turntable. How could anyone be and, too busy uh, to bossa nova? Let me ask you. That's the one question I have. How could anyone, in the course of their day, not find a moment, just a moment, to do the bossa nova? I think it goes. I think it goes good any time of the day. It goes good any time of the day. It really does. It it actually does, as does I discover because there's not a day that goes by where I do not mash potato. And and, and your your icon, Mr. Sinatra, certainly, uh, his his collaboration with Joe Beam uh, yielded some beautiful work as well. Yeah. Tall and tan and young and lovely, the girl from Ipanema goes walking and when she passes, each one she passes goes, ah. And there's some that has not even been released, but, uh, there is television programming and of course the album, the, there was a TV special with Joe Beam. And it was a wonderful collaboration watching these two artists commit to each other. Um, a real rarity and another reason that I admire Sinatra with such a passion. Um, an astounding collaboration. Uh, this guitarist, this magnificent guitarist, doing his phrasing on his instrument as Sinatra greets him with his phrasing, with his instrument. It's great stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah. Anyway, Stan Getz won a Grammy for the best jazz performance, soloist or small group instrumental for, this was 1962, and this is a beautiful recording. Dessa Finado. <laughs> Record of the Year for Girl from Ipanema that won the Grammy, my friend, in 64. The Album yep. of the Year, Gets Gilberto. It was the Album of the Year. It was a blockbuster. He won another Grammy for Best Instrumental Jazz Performance, Small Group, Solo with Small Group, and that was, once again, Gets Gilberto. And he got a Grammy for the Best Jazz Solo Performance in 91 just right oh, man it's amazing what great work some guys do right before they die some people can't walk other people do their finest work I remember you is the song so I wish to pay tribute to the wonderful Stan Getz to the memory of the girl from Ipanema who uh, through one recording uh, invaded our culture and introduced her culture to every nation in the world. That's how large that recording was. Uh, 
and I look at it all. Thank you, Astrid. I look at it all so, so fondly, so fondly. Uh, you were talking about cover versions of Gorfamipanema. Who can you think of that did the best cover that you can think of of Gorfamipanema? Uh, you know, it's beyond me. What's your favorite? Amy Winehouse. Oh, yes. Winehouse. Mm -hmm. Lou Rawls did a great version. Herb Alpert, of course. But you'd expect Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass to cover it. But the one that I ask everyone to listen to is, as we always revert to, when Sammy Davis Jr. covers a song, man, he covers a song. Tall and tan and young and lovely The girl from Ipanine goes walking And when she passes, each one she passes goes So you get a full a full plate. We're going to give you a little Sammy singing the girl from Ipanema. <laughs> because he's Sammy. It's the only... We haven't yeah, well, done it. We haven't done a show. When she passes, Sammy. each one she passes goes... Chicka, chicka, wow, wow. <laughs> that was great. That was good. That was very good. That was very good. That was a hearty laugh. Chicka, cow, chicka, cow, chicka. Very good. That was very good. And Peggy Lee, she said. Well, thank you, my friend, for for leading us through this. Well, today. you know, it's not a, it's not an effort. It's uh, it's just a matter of, of duty, public service, and uh, you know, it's better than what other people do with their time, uh, and and in some cases worse. Depends on how you look at it. But all I know is it brings me great pleasure to collaborate on these with you and. Um, it is the Likewise. highlight. It is a highlight of my uh, of the seven days that we call a week that we spend on Earth, and when we do our shows, it is a blessing. And you, my friends, are a blessing, which is why we're going to ask you to be blessed by Captain Billy and his magic eight ball, where he reaches into his magnificent vault of eight tracks and he takes a recording and uh, gives you some insight into that recording with a beautiful narrative and some great, great uh, words regarding its import. And uh, then we give you the entire high-definition version of the album. So, uh, latest episodes, you can hear Love's Forever Changes, Anita O'Day's Mellow Day, and coming up, The Bird's Greatest Hits. So, yes, my friends, please listen to Captain Billy and uh, our program and the Splendid Boho Goes To, where we select a character actor of note who enhanced a film to ultimate greatness, and we'll be coming up with another episode of that in the near future. And, of course, we'll be back with another Put On a Stack of 45s. Kindly listen to our previous episodes, uh, The Skyliners, Lonnie Mack. There's some beauties in there. And you can go back deep into the archives. We've been doing this for years, gang, for years. You can go back and hear us when Bill and I were doing this via transatlantic communication. It's like you were on a ship in the middle of the ocean 
That's pretty much. And for those fans of old time, for those fans of old time radio, that was radio, before put on a stack of forty five. Yes, that was before put on a stack of forty fives. That's just where we would riff for an hour and a half. <laughs> we would go on for two parts about CBGBs or ESP disc. So. It's all in the archives. It's all in the archives, which are thoroughly investigated every day. And we get multitude of hits, and we are very grateful for the numbers that you have provided us with. So please continue to do so. We appreciate your support. At this point, we ask for no money, so uh, consider yourselves quite fortunate. And uh, if we ever do ask you for money, believe me, there'll be bonuses galore. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Bill Mesnick. Rich Buckland put on a stack of 45s. We'll see you soon, gang. Love you. And as Red Skelton said, God bless. Stack of 45. Adios, amigo. Stack of 45.